So here we go this morning, continuing with a series that I'm calling All In. We're talking about a life of faith and what it looks like for us to be people of faith together and how that works. And the way we've been doing this is over the past weeks, we have been looking at different examples from the Old Testament and seeing how they respond to the call from God to live a life of faith and how some of those examples then give us some lessons for today. So we've looked at some of those examples, Abraham, Moses, Ruth, and Today, we move on to look at the example of Samuel. Now, in some of these examples that we looked at in the past, we saw some different features, right? Of features where, for example, with, with Moses, that, that he protested. God, whatever it is that you want me to do, I want nothing to do with it. But, but here's what we've noticed, right? That with examples like Abraham and Moses, when the call of God came, they knew it, Right? It was unmistakable. But where does that leave us as people of God when maybe we are not sure if it's God calling, if this is what faith is pressing us to do, right? What if we have some confusion or questions of, is this from God or not? How are we supposed to respond? That's a feature we see today in the story of Samuel where he had to ask the question, or the question was there, who is this calling, and how do I respond to this, right? Maybe that's a feature that we should pay attention to in our own lives of faith, too. Paying attention to, when is it that God is pressing us to move forward in faith? How do we know when he is placing that that faith upon us to move forward? And how do we respond to that? Okay, so today, Samuel, I'm going to read from chapter 3, the first 10 verses. This is about the calling of Samuel, all right? Samuel 3, the first 10 verses, says this. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of the God was, where ark of ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, "Here I am." And he ran to Eli and said, "Here I am. You called me." But Eli said, "I did not call you. Go back and lie down." So he went and he lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back. Lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. Then, Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. If he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as in the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak your servant is listening. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, Samuel, someone who had not yet recognized the voice of the Lord. Let's put a little bit of context around this story. Who is Samuel? Where does he come from? Well, Samuel is the son of a woman named Hannah. Hannah could not have children for many, many years. And and as the story goes, Hannah prayed to God in chapters 1 and 2 of 1 Samuel. You see this story. Prayed to God for a child and she conceived and Samuel was born out of that. But, But Hannah said, I will dedicate this child now to the Lord. So from a young age, Samuel was brought to, at that time it was the tabernacle. The temple was not yet built. So the tabernacle where he served among the priests there who served the Lord at the tabernacle. Now it's, it's likely that during this time the tabernacle was set up in one place and the priests and the Levites who served there likely had some kind of um, housing units built around it, right? So they lived right there and houses that were built right around the tabernacle. That's what's being referred to in this passage when it says things like Samuel laid down where the ark of God was. It doesn't mean that he was in the Holy of Holies sleeping right next to the ark. He was just right around the tabernacle, the place where all of the priests were, the place where Eli the high priest was. He served and lived among them. He was in their residence, basically taking up residence with them. Now, what we also pick up from this passage is that Eli can't see, that his vision is so poor that that he's nearly completely blind. So here's what likely was the case then, that Samuel, who's still a child, was sort of the, the servant for Eli, helping Eli out with whatever he needed because he couldn't see anymore. So it would not have been uncommon at all for Eli to call out for Samuel when he needed something. It's not an unusual request, and it makes perfect sense then that when, when Samuel hears this voice in the middle of the night, the first thing he thinks is, oh, it's Eli, he needs something. That's what he was there for. So it, it's understandable what, Eli, what Samuel did there. Right? That was probably how often his days would go, is just whatever, whatever Eli would need, Samuel would do. Eli would call out and Samuel would help him. That was the routine that we see taking place here. That's sort of the context around what's happening. It gives mention here that uh, in this call comes while the lamp of God was still burning and had not gone out. That, that's a reference that you have to go back to Leviticus to find this, but it's the menorah that they would have in the tabernacle, that they would fill that with oil at night and those lamps, that lamp would burn all night long until sunrise. And when the oil went out as the sun was coming up, that the lamp would go out too. That's the reference they're making there. It's still the middle of the night. The lamp had not yet gone out. Could have likely been very, very early in the morning, right? Before the sun was up, that kind of a thing. That's when God calls. So that's the setting around this, when this call of God comes. But I want us to notice a few features that take place here, okay? Some features about Samuel not recognizing the voice of the Lord when it first comes to him. He doesn't recognize it and how he responds to that. How that may be instructive for us today yet as well. Who sometimes maybe we wonder, what is God telling us to do? How does God want me to live? Especially maybe in some of those transitional seasons of life, right? 
thinking especially of like students when you're out of high school and do I go to college, do I get a job, or if I go to college, what do I study, what should my major be, or if you're, if you're still in the workforce, do I keep the job I have, are there other job opportunities for me, where do I go next, if you're in those retirement years, now that I've got some free time, what do I do with that time, how do I feel that, those questions can apply to any one of us in this place, right? That we all face those moments where we come and we wonder, what does God want me to do next? Where is my faith taking me? And we listen and discern how God speaks to us. So this may not be unique. It may not be unique that Samuel didn't recognize what God was telling him at first. Maybe we all struggle with that sometimes trying to recognize what God is telling us when he speaks. It's worth paying some attention to in this story. And then also paying attention to the response. How does Samuel finally respond? I just read 10 verses here. If you were to go on from where we left off, right, where Samuel says, speak, your servant is listening, God does speak. If you were to read those verses and the rest of 1 Samuel 3, It's not a pretty message. Maybe we'd like to think of it that way. Oh, God is finally speaking to one of the prophets and he's revealing his glorious plan. It's it's probably something Samuel wishes he could unhear, right? I didn't want to hear that. It's a message that's basically a message of condemnation for Eli and all of Eli's household. That God is not pleased with Eli. We see in this chapter that Eli is blind, and, and that's literally true in the passage here that he couldn't see, but, but there's something figuratively true about that as well. That Eli was blind to the will of God, was not doing what God had called the priests of the people to do, was not paying attention to following God's ways and what he did, and what his household, his family did. So God brings a message to Samuel about that. Not a fun message. Now, at this point, you read from the story, Eli knows what's going on, right? He knows that God was the one calling Samuel. So it's not like Samuel can hide this. It's not like the next morning he can say, you know what, it was nothing, I must have just been... He knows, Eli knows... So Samuel knows that, what do I do in the morning when Eli comes asking? And sure enough, if you were to read on, Eli does like first thing in the morning. So what did he say? And not sort of a, hey, can you share it with me? But if you read it, you find out Eli is insistent. Tell me and don't hold anything back. Give me the whole story. Can you imagine the tension around that? Just sit with that one for a minute. Samuel, a kid, right, a young kid, given this pretty heart-wrenching message from God about Eli, the one that he's there, he's dedicated to serve and support. I kind of think that Samuel didn't go back to sleep after that, right? That would have just been a pit in the stomach of 
what do I do with this? How do I go forward with this? If this is truly the word of God, the will of God, what God wants me to say, how do I respond to this? I imagine Samuel had to wrestle with that at some point. How do we respond to that? It's worth spending a few minutes and just imagining just how jarring, disjointed, surprising, disruptive this whole chain of events might have felt in the lives of these two characters in this story, Samuel and Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. When the word of the Lord finally came, I suppose Samuel could have easily characterized that as a, this is rather inconvenient. A rather inconvenient disruption that you're putting into the middle of my life right now. Especially in the middle of the night. I don't know how you sleep at night, but I, I think my first response in the place of Samuel would have been, can it wait till morning? Right? Can you come back at a better time? It's an inconvenient disruption. What do we do when there are moments of faith that come before us, and they come before us in moments that appear to be an inconvenient disruption, and we wonder, is this from God or not? If it is, how do I respond? What am I supposed to do about that? Well, we see some other examples in Scripture that might give us a little hint into that, about this, what do we do when an inconvenient disruption comes along, right? You remember the story of God's people when, when they were freed from their slavery in Egypt and they went and they got the law of God at Mount Sinai. They crossed the desert and they were, they were about to enter Canaan, the promised land, the land that was given to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and on down, right? That they were going to take possession of that land. They get right to the edge and here's what happens that at that time they send in 12 scouts to survey the land ahead. They pick one person from each tribe, each tribe of Israel. They go in, they survey the land, and they come back with this report. Ten of those 12 people said, the people there are overwhelming. We can't do this. Right? And the people believe it. They believe it. This isn't what God wants us to do. This is a disruption we can't handle. This is a place where we cannot go because we're just not up to this. This is too much. And what's the response? What's the response of the people back then? Well, based on 10 of these scouts and their report, they say, tell you what, let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back. Now, they end up just wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They don't actually go back to Egypt. But, but that was their triggered response. There's a disruption in front of us that we don't want to handle. Let's get back to what's familiar, what we can handle because we know what it is. Familiar. I think we know something about that, right? I, that's not surprising. It's not surprising that when disruptions come in life, 
how often isn't it our first response to say, how do I get back to what's familiar again? Just get me back to what I know. Can we do that? We know that. I mean, I shouldn't have to explain that. Do you remember two years ago when, when pandemic started, right? And how, I mean, I think some of my comments at the time, along with so many others, was, all right, fine, so we'll, I mean, we'll close up for a couple of weeks or whatever, but we'll be back to what's familiar in no time. Let's just get back to that. And then it goes on, right? And that longing is still there. When can we go back to what's familiar? You see, there's something in us that just longs for that. That we long for, just bring me to what is familiar, to what I know, to what's normal for me. So when disruptions come along, it seems like it's the automatic response of everybody. It's natural in some way, right? That we want to be in places that are familiar, living in ways that are familiar. Samuel is in the, ta- is in, in the tabernacle serving Eli and had a routine to his day that was familiar. And then God comes and gives him a message that disrupts all of that, turns that around. How does he know? And what does he do about it? Now, now at this point, you know, I will say, it would be a mistake to categorize every disruption that comes in life as, as some kind of word from God. That's not the case. We don't take it to the extreme that way. In the same way, it would be a mistake to categorize everything that's familiar in the same and ordinary as God's will as well. So, so don't take it that way. The question here is, how do you know? How do you identify when God is working and moving in our faith among those things? Look at what Samuel had to do, right? And first of all, he doesn't recognize it. So he thinks it's Eli. He goes back and forth. This happens three times. He has to listen and seek the advice of another. Seek the advice of another. That's always helpful. That Eli is the one who finally clues him into what's happening there. Ironic in some ways, because Eli is the one in the story who's blind and cannot see. But he's the one who catches on and tells Samuel what to do. Sometimes in our own journeys of faith, when we hear or experience some of those moments of disruption, maybe that's helpful. Helpful to ask, is God pressing something upon me or not? And should I seek the advice, the wise counsel of other godly people around this? We, uh, when I was in seminary and, and training for ministry, we talked often there about calling and what, what calling of God was like and what that meant. And, and we referred to that in two ways, internal calling and external calling. That when God calls people, when God places a path before people, that, that you see that internally and externally. Internally meaning, you know what, I see and sense something myself about this. I think I'm hearing something of the voice of God laying before me of what those next steps in my life should be. That we see and know that for ourselves, but how important it is to also experience the external calling. 
that there had to be others, other godly people in our lives who would say, yes, I'll affirm that. Yes, that is something that you should do. Yes, that is what God is laying before you. Those two things had to go together. Because we know, I mean, there are stories out there, right, of some people who have some pretty crazy ideas about what they think God is telling them to do. But every Christian out there would say, hmm, that doesn't sound quite right. I'm not sure God is actually working through that, right? I remember when I was living in Denver at the time, and there was an event where just a little bit uh, south of us in Colorado Springs, there was an individual who entered a Planned Parenthood abortion clinic with an AR-15, started shooting people, was arrested, and on his defense said, God told me to do it. That's not the voice of God. There's no external confirmation of that coming from anywhere. Right? So, internal and external. Samuel hears God calling to him, Eli is the one who directs it, confirms it. Now, you and I today, we live in a time where we don't hear the audible voice of God coming to people in the same way that they did back then. Back in this time, you know, they, they had the books of Moses, the law, but, but they didn't have all the other books that we would call the Bible, right? They, they didn't have all of those writings down together. And they didn't have mass producing where it was printed for everyone. And they didn't have a system where everyone was literate and could read it anyway. So back in those times, in those days, God spoke through prophets. That's how the word of the Lord came. We read in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, right? In Hebrews it says, in the old days, God spoke through his prophets. But in the coming day, God speaks through his son Jesus. And we have his word. Right, that God reveals himself now through scripture, through the Bible, through his word. So when we listen for the voice of God today, we look to scripture. That's where we see God revealing himself. That's where we pick up on what it is that God tells us about who he is, who we are as his people, and how it is he desires for us to live. So that's where we turn when we have those questions, right? Those questions of, my life seems to be in a moment of disruption. Is there something from God in my faith story, my, steps of, my step of faith in this or not? Look to Scripture. What is God saying through his word that may be instructive for that moment, for that time? And do other people confirm that? Are there other godly men and women who will affirm what it is you sense God saying through Scripture as you look at that? We see something of that pattern here between Samuel and Eli. But simply reading the Word of God is step one. Just as step one for Samuel would have been hearing the Word of God spoken, now it called for a response. What was Samuel going to do about it? What do we do about it? You see, because reading the word of God, hearing the word of God is information. That's information. Responding to the word of God 
is transformation. And this is where the life of faith steps in, right? That the life of faith is meant to transform us. Transform us. To make us the kind of people that God desires for us to be, has created us to be, has redeemed and renewed us through Jesus to be. Listen to the way that a few of those in the New Testament put this. Coming, first of all, from the Apostle Paul in in Romans. Romans 8.29 says this, that for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, conformed to the image of his Son. That faith is meant to transform us, change us. The Apostle Peter says this in 1 Peter 1, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. Be holy. That God calls us to holiness. And that transformation of faith that God works through our lives works to make us more and more holy through the Spirit of God. That this is the work faith does in our lives to transform us and make us holy. The question that the story of Samuel places before us in that process then is a question that may be asked like this. Are we willing to be inconveniently disrupted for that? Am I willing to be inconveniently disrupted so that my faith can transform me? Am I willing to be inconveniently disrupted for the benefit of others? When, uh, when this whole pandemic began two years ago, one of the first things that we saw as everything was shutting down is, is that there was an immediate need among the people of our community for basic food necessity. That is, people all of a sudden especially people who had low-income, hourly wage-earning jobs, didn't have money for groceries, that this church saw in that a place to step up, right? It was an inconvenient disruption that we had for a time where we had to shut doors and not do things in person here. But in that inconvenient disruption, we turned the whole lobby of this church into a food warehouse, for non-perishable food, right? We had rows and rows of stacked canned goods and boxes and things like that. And, and we expanded the hours of our food pantry and had them just drive right through the drive-up circle out there where we did that. That There was a moment where it was disruptive and it's not what we wanted. It's not what we would have liked to see happen, but there was a moment where we had something of a response that we could give even in that disruption for the benefit of others? Are we willing to be inconveniently disrupted for the benefit of others when we see that? Sometimes God places those moments in front of us. Moments then that transforms our faith, transforms our lives, takes us a step closer. 
when we see that, we listen for the word of God, seek the word of God in scripture. We seek the advice and the counsel of other godly men and women. Is this from God? Is God placing a moment of faith in front of us where we can step forward? Do we see that revealed and is that affirmed? And then the response. We respond in ways where God transforms us through his word, through his spirit, to become more and more holy. It's January, and and this is a time of year where often I try to sneak a little bit out of the middle of my day and catch the January series. That's a series of lectures that happens over at Calvin University. One of those speakers this week was reminding us, reminding us of God's transformation. A reminder that, you know, in the story of the Bible, the story of the Bible is not a story that leads to this ultimate conclusion where we are just souls and spirits floating around in heaven. But the Bible talks about a recreation, that God is making all things new, right? That he is in the business of resurrection, resurrecting his perfect creation, that the Bible reveals Jesus as the first, the first of that perfect resurrection. That's where it's all going. That's where everything is leading. That's what we affirm when we say together the words of the Apostles' Creed and the phrase in the Apostles' Creed that we believe in the resurrection of the dead, that we are resurrection people looking for all things to be made new again. In order for that to happen, God transforms his people. He has begun that process of making things new again. We see glimpses of that even now as God works that through our lives, that we see that faith that transforms us and transforms his world. Even in our brokenness, even in our imperfection, that there are moments of faith where we see God revealed. We see his word spoken. And we respond with faith that transforms and makes us holy. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the way you reveal yourself in your word. Lord, we confess that uh, there are those moments when we have tried to prioritize getting back to Egypt. Instead of moving forward, we respond to those inconvenient disruptions with just bring me back to what I know and what's familiar. So Lord, give us eyes of faith to, to hear your word spoken to us and be able to know where you're leading. Give us a boldness of faith then to step forward in ways that you, through your spirit, will transform us and continue to make us more and more holy. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand? Let's make this our prayer.